0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to again talk about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, we did Matthew chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, we did Matthew chapter 2 this morning, and now we're going to get into chapter 3. We read uh, verse 6, and I actually did this kind of on the fly, it's funny, I go through this, and then all of a sudden, while I'm doing the show... And just talking right off, all of a sudden i like, oh my gosh, I missed that. I didn't even look that up. I didn't even look up the word there for uh, that particular word in the, the text, which is uh, translated in the King James, Governor. It says, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least amongst the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor. Now when I say governor, like I said, my son's meeting with the governor this week uh, to give her a hard time. <laughs> she's probably going to give him the stonewall, but uh, he's working on trying to get local communities to take back their responsibilities and get the governors off their back so that they have more control locally which is what everybody should be trying to do. And, of course, if you were seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you could do that in gangbusters. I just had a long talk with somebody who, whose uh, family works at uh, the local public school. And the corruption and the abuse and the neglect of the children has gone on. And this is a pretty good school by most standards. Uh I mean, they don't have the, you know, the... uh uh, transvestite story hour and all this stuff, you know. Except somebody said, "Well, they're just reading the books." And I mean, like, are you that naive of what's going on in the world? But anyway, uh, that that word there that you see translated "governor," uh, it is translated "governor" nineteen times in the Bible, and a lot of those are in Matthew. Some of them are in Luke. Few of them are in Acts. Uh, one in Peter. Or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now, that's a particular kind of governor. And, uh, it's interesting that the word is found there in, in, um uh, in 1 Peter, I think it's chapter 2, yeah, verse 14. Uh, but, you know, when we read it in Matthew, Matthew, like I say, most of the time, it appears, it appears in Matthew. And it may refer to a lot of different people, but it is not, you know, it is not the only word that could be translated governor. And even though it's translated governor 19 times, ruler twice, uh and prince once it actually means a leader of any kind it's hegemon uh, a leader of any kind a guide i'm going to do a a deeper depth uh examination of this word because that definition was written down after the king james was translated after religionists have gotten hold of it. And it can mean those things, but this is a title being and they actually capitalize it in the King James, talking about Jesus being a new governor. And then the verse goes on to say, That shall rule my people Israel. And so we have another word there, rule. Well rule is often archaic Or archon, you know, depending on how it's used in the sentence, and it it is the archa. It is the one who exercises authority and rules. But that's not the word that we see there. The word that we see there, actually, there's there's several words there, and they're not all clearly translated in the King James, because it says poimani, which means will shepherd. Doesn't say will rule. When, when it talks about, I, I'll give you the literal translations. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means least are among the rulers of Judah. That's, but the Hegel is rulers of Judah. Out of you, for will go forth one leading. And the word we actually see there is hegominus. One leading. And then it says, who will poimeni? Will shepherd the people of me, Israel. And there's actually another word in there that is not translated. And, um uh, it's an article. And, uh, it's, it's Homan. And, uh, it just basically means the, but they, they didn't translate it. It says, the people of me, Ton Israel, which means the Israel, but they don't put the the in there, the article in there. But, and that's not the, the, the key word here. And actually when I was looking at it at the fly during the morning program, I was thinking that when it said in in the verse 6, Therefore I am the Lord, art thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. If you look at a literal translation, it, the word that they're translating, princes, is hegemosen. And the word they're translating, governor, Hegemonos. But then the word, who will shepherd, is not really being translated at all. So, anyway, the point is, is it's going to give you a peculiar look at at the word when you're looking at the word. And what it is, is I have to move this uh, uh, hegemon definition over to princes. I had them both there put in, and the other word that we see translated "governor," hegemonus, and the other word that we say "shall rule." Yeah, because I I just glanced at the Greek. I pulled it up right in the middle of the show, and I was looking at it, and I think like, "Oh my gosh, I missed this." (laughs) What am I thinking? But different in the original text. But we'll call it "poimeno," Which actually means to feed, to tend a flock, to keep sheep. That's why it can be translated shepherd. But the King James only translates it feed six times, rule four times, keep cattle once. But it has to do with being a shepherd. And of course, David was a shepherd of the people. He was technically a ruler, but most of the time he was not ruling over the people. He tried to in a few places, but he repented of it, which is why he was a man after God's own heart. But, uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a considerable misconstruing of what Christ's purpose was in coming. And, and the reference to the princes, of Judah is a reference to Bethlehem. The land, In the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah. That, that first hegemon has to do with that word, which again still means leader amongst Judah, not ruler. For out of these shall come a governor. Doesn't mean governor. It means someone who can lead but who will not rule, but shepherd the people of Israel. The people of the Israel. Now, why is that preposition important, the people of the Israel? is because of the fact that Israel is not a geographical location. It's not a civil state incorporated state it's a people that are not bound together by contracts covenants and constitution but a people that are bound together by faith hope and charity by love for one another because we know those bonds will preserve a nation better so anyway we went back and and looked at that i'll still go back Now that I have done that recording and when we go, I'll go back to two and clean that up and make it a little bit more clear in the side panel. But now I've mentioned it twice, but we're both learning together on the fly. (laughs) So, but we started reading Matthew three and we want to get through that. I'm, I'm not going to take the show all the way to the end of, uh, uh, normally the sixth. I've only got it scheduled at five thirty because I have to be somewhere else at five thirty. And I actually know that somebody is listening to this program, and he has to be there at 5.30 as well. I was supposed to text him, and I didn't do it, but he knows who I'm talking about. So he's invited to come here at 5.30 and have a meal with several other people that are going to be here. And so I may text them later, but I don't have commercial breaks here, so I can't take the time out to do that. <laughs> but I'm going to open up the chat room, so anyway, so we're gonna get into Matthew three. And we started reading it at the end of the show this morning. But John the Baptist prepares the way. And, of course, that's what we're doing. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And the way of the Lord is not the way of the world. And the way of the world is that they covet their neighbor's goods to men who exercise authority one over the other. Uh, and that's not the way of John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, no, you do it all by charity you have two coats, you share. If you have extra food, you share. And you, in that sharing, we create the social bonds. The way of the world is that they make you sign covenants, contracts, and constitutions, apply for benefits at your neighbor's expense. Of course, that will degenerate society, make society weaker, and it will give more and more power in the hands of government until finally you have a totalitarian government and no way to stop it. And of course that's what you've been doing for the last hundred years or more, over and over again throughout the history of mankind. But we got a lot of people running around thinking that, oh, but I believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in Jesus <laughs> uh and and they're not hearing Jesus. They're just under a strong delusion. They're on an emotional journey. I was just listening to uh someone I, I've saved it now, so I don't have to leave it open. I should go. So we're going to see how how this all works into what John the Baptist was doing. It says, in those days, John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And like I said, the word kingdom of heaven, uh, which I have a link to to an article on a kingdom of heaven at our society of preparing you, The kingdom of heaven actually should best be translated the kingdom of the world. But if nobody tells you that, of course, we will tell you that, and we will quote the Greek scholars who say that that's the best way to translate that particular word, that you might think that heaven is where you go when you die. But that would, of course, be crazy. That's not what heaven is all about. Now, you may go somewhere when you die, or at least your spirit goes. Your body will probably go in the ground. But um, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of the world, and it was for the living. Jesus said it was for the living, not for the dead. But everybody said, oh, no, it's, it's for after I die, because I don't want to actually change anything I'm doing today. I want want to just have this guarantee of perfect happiness later on. And also, I want to feel righteous. I don't want to be righteous. I just want to feel righteous. And I want to go to a church that makes me feel righteous because it convinces me that that church is the one true church. The conversation I was having with somebody who actually lives in this county, uh, and I was doing it on Facebook, uh, is that, you know, he said, well, what makes you think you have the truth? And we have to be a member well, you can't be a member of his holy church. You either follow Christ or you don't follow Christ. If you follow Christ and I follow Christ and somebody else follows Christ, well, we can all walk together. But I was pointing out that uh, 1 Corinthians makes it, uh, was it 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians? I, I could look it up here pretty quick, but I want to do more stuff on the fly. But it talks about us not keeping company with the covetous. And who are the covetous? That's the people who uh eat, uh, you know, uh, uh, co- through covetous practices. They don't practice pure religion. They, they practice public religion. So, John the Baptist, until John the Baptist, everybody was trying to set up a utopia, a kingdom of the world, the new world order, to force... Everybody would sign up for this public religion or that public religion with the Temple of Jerusalem or the Temple of Roma or the Temple of the Parthenos or the Temple of Ephesus, which is the Temple of Diana. So they would sign up with these temples, and those temples would provide them with a social safety net uh, so that they didn't have to worry about when they were old. But, of course, what you were supposed to worry about when you're old is that your children take care of you. And of course if you, if you remain barren and don't have any children and, you know, uh, whatever, uh, you can always help another family. You can be there for that family and their children and those children will treat you like my family treated Aunt Fanny. Years ago, Aunt Fanny, I only have one picture of her and she's wearing one of those long black dresses all the way down to the ground. She was a very erect, strong woman, but she helped. My great grand, or actually, I think, well, she helped my great grandmother and my grandmother with their kids, but she never had kids of her own. She never got married and had kids of her own. But they took care of her till the day she died, because she helped somebody. You see, that's your social safety net. It creates the bonds in your social safety net. But people want to give that power over to a government and they say okay we will pay in and the government will take care of us well the government don't love you especially if you have to pay in you see but christ and moses created a government where you could pay in you paid in locally but you were a network so go on up to the high priest and then he would make a wave offering And the excess that came up to him, he would spread out amongst the people who were the greatest needs in all the community. And it was kind of like a lottery, but it was a lottery based on actual needs and performance. Like if there was a battle and one particular group got hit hardest and lost the most sons in that battle and they were having a hard time of it, or maybe the invading army came through that area, the wave offering would go to that area to help them reestablish themselves and everybody wanted that network in existence because bad things could happen to anybody and and they would need aid and of course you say well how do you know that that's what well we see it in acts we see durst sweeping through the land of rome we know that as a matter of history that there were shortages of food shortages of money breakdowns of the economy Wars and rumors of war all just sweeping across Rome from time to time. And we have there recorded that there, there was Paul and, and Barnabas and Timothy taking supplies to these places and taking care of them as the, the, the faith emergency ministry auxiliary. Of the church. And then they they saw, well, the Greeks are being neglected over here. We need to be able to get supplies and funds and things to them. So they said, okay, look out amongst yourselves and find seven men you trust. Well, they said, look look out amongst yourselves find men you trust. And they found seven men. And they appointed seven men. Well, hey, why seven men? That bothered me for years. I asked priests. I asked ministers, I asked people who were Bible scholars, why Why did they pick seven men? Because it's, it's very clearly seven men, that's kind of a number. And who are these guys? Nobody can tell me. But actually we know in the Bible itself who some of them are. None of them are living in the same place. All of them seem to be wealthy men and devout men. So what are you picking them for? If you go back to the Old Testament, it will tell you why they were picking them. And, of course, we've written an article. Seven men. (laughs) Because there's a lot of seven men groups out there. Some of them have your best interest at heart, and they are good, faithful men. And some of them don't. Well, the fact is you can do that same pattern over and over again. But you're not doing it because you're not seeking the kingdom of God because you think the kingdom of God is where you go after you die. I don't know where you're going after you die, but the way you live will determine that. And I don't need to know after I die. It's just another adventure. So it is written that John the Baptist was this voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So how do you do that? How do you make his path straight? Because right now, the modern church, they're not making a very straight path. So verse 4, it says, And the same John had his raiment of camel hair and a leathern girdle about his loins. And his meat was locusts and wild honey. And I should put more in there about the locusts and wild honey. Because I don't believe he was eating locusts. I think that's a mistranslation. If you look at the Aramaic, the same word that we see uh, that could be translated locust in the Aramaic actually has to do with carob. And so I think he was eating carobs and wild honey. Herb beans, which you would probably uh, prepare and grind up into a powder, and then you mix it with honey, and he was eating that. And he probably ate some camel meat. I don't know, although camel really isn't on the normal menu, but he had camel hair, so somebody was providing him with camel hair. I don't know who that was. That That was a big talk that camels weren't common in that area at the time, because we always see the picture of the wise men riding camels. And, uh, but they could have rode camels because they were supposedly come from the east. But anyway, I, I don't believe that the locusts were bugs. So the new world order of God, the new kingdom of heaven, which means the kingdom of the world of God, they don't want you to eat bugs. Bugs are taboo food in, in Now, when I say taboo food, there's a lot of parasites you can get from eating bugs. And uh, there are some problems with eating bugs because of, you know, it depends on the kind of bugs that you're eating as well. But I don't believe he was eating bugs. I believe he was eating carob and wild honey. And it's just a quirk of the translation and King James got it wrong. Then went out of him... Jerusalem and all of Judea and all of the region around about Jordan and were baptized of him in the Jordan confessing their sins. Well, this would be a good place to put in, uh, a connection to rabbinical baptism because, uh, that, that's a, that's a real thing. That's the name of the article. Rabbinical baptism. I have a whole article on that. And also, we could, uh, make sure that there are plenty of links in here to, well, the John the Baptist article will take you to it. And so that's a a link that you can, you can look at. But baptism, again, the rabbinical baptism baptized you into the system, the social safety net of pure religion that was once practiced by Moses and the followers of Moses, which we call Israel. And, and those people that rebelled against the system set up by Moses and tried to set up a system like the city-states with a central bank, which is what the golden calf was. I got, we explain, you go look at graven images, article on graven images. You go look in Exodus where we talk about uh, the golden calf. Uh, the city-states all had these golden statues. Not They didn't all have them, but all the ones that had this centralized wealth in, in a golden statue. And they called the golden statue the reserve fund. And you know, that was a revelation when I heard that. And it was my son, I think he was like 11 or 12, and he would go with me to work and because uh, they're all home taught. And he was sitting there reading a book uh, that was, the, I think it was the Punic Wars. And uh, in it, it was talking about, or Peloponnesian Wars, Peloponnesian Wars. And you know it was a big, thick book, about two inches thick, and uh, he was reading it, and he was telling me the the story, and they were talking about the reserve fund that uh, the the leader of the this Greek city state was in there sawing off a chunk of the gold of this golden statue to turn it into coin to buy the equipment they were going to need for building ships to fight the war. And that—that's what the statue was. It was a reserve fund. And if you think about it in a practical sense, if you just put all all that gold in the chests and you locked it up in a vault, how do you know how many coins are in the the vault? You'd have to have somebody in there counting them every day. And somebody could be sneaking in there at night and slipping a few out, and you know, sticking our big rock in there so it looks like the same amount and it's not. But if you put it in a statue, everybody knows, hey, yep, four legs and a head, two horns, yep, tail, yep, he's still there. Bank's not been robbed. It's practical. And it also demands your loyalty. Because now you have to be a member of this system. So everybody will be recorded as a member. And we see that's what Aaron was doing when they came up. And they're breaking off their goal, which is their portable wealth. And they're putting in the statues. And now the Amalekites attack and the Malachites attack. Everybody's going to stay because if we run, we run without our wealth. But if we were doing what Christ said, investing in the kingdom of God, which is investing in one another, then our wealth is our neighbor's. That we love as much as we love ourselves and we show that love by our daily sacrifice. Because we are the living altars of God. That's what Christianity is supposed to be. It's not what's posing as Christianity today. So that's, it's very important to understand these things. And were baptized of Him in the Jordan River, not the rabbinical baptism, where the people who were getting baptized at the laver and becoming members of the temple built by Herod and the Pharisees that would now collect the sacrifices of the people. The Hebrew word for sacrifice is korban, but that Corbin would make the Word of God to none effect because the people would become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood and on the property of others. And this would degenerate them. It would make the word of God to none effect. But if you live by faith, hope, and charity, loving your neighbor as much as yourself, caring for your neighbor as much as yourself, loving your neighbor's children as much as yourself, ah, now you will make the word of God to effect. You will bind each other together with social bonds of love and compassion and sacrifice. Bonds that only come with pure religion. The practice of pure religion. Pure religion is taking care of one another unspotted by the systems of force of the world. I mean, it says right there, unspotted by the world. The word world there is constitutional order or system of government. But when he saw... Many, oh, and he he also went and said in verse 6, and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. What was their sin? They had coveted their neighbor's goods through the rabbinical baptism of the Pharisees. Or another sin is they neglected to love their neighbor as themselves. They were making a living. They were saving up their money, They had a good business, and they really didn't care about other people. They didn't check on other people. We have a lady who lives next door to us most of the year, and she just checks on everybody. She is kind to everybody, uh, except for people who who do naughty things. (laughs) You do not want to be caught doing naughty things. Cause she gets on her list, she'll write your name down and cross a line to it. Now maybe she'll forgive you if you repent, but you're going to have to show her evidence of your repentance. But anyway, but she, I mean, she has been helping people all the time, long before we even knew her. She, she's virtually a saint. She's not a part of our network, but she's a part of our extended network. Cause I know that her spirit is right. But this is hard for a lot of people to grasp. But the people who have it written in their hearts, that's, that's even better. Because when the bad things happen, they will be there. Because that faith will compel them to do what's right. The rest of you, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but anyway, verse seven, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Well, I have an article on wrath. I should make that alive. But generation of vipers. Jesus uses that same term. And I should put a link in there to all the places that you see that. So that you can start connecting the dots. Because he taught. why is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this generation of vipers? Because they set up the system of Corban that does not operate by charity. It operates by force. It's legal charity. And because that's making the word of God to none effect, it's turning Israel into perfect savages. Well, they will be happy to crucify an innocent man rather than lose their social welfare system and have to go to a system based on faith, hope, and charity. Because two things will happen if they do that. One is they have to admit that they were wrong with the system that they set up. And two, they have to take back their responsibility of actually choosing to sacrifice. And allowing other people to make the other, the same choice. So verse 10, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Again, that word fire, I, I talked this morning about a consuming fire or hell fire. What is that consuming fire? And, and to pierce people with an arrow, is, what is that arrow made out of? If Christ pierces people with an arrow, what is the arrow made out of? It's made out of the utility of God's love. That's what it's made of. That's the hint. I won't, I won't explain it more than that. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance unto repentance, unto the hope that you will repent. Think differently. And, of course, thinking differently is to make this commitment to live by faith, hope, and charity. And as you continue to live by faith, hope, and charity, that will make a difference to you. It will open up your heart and your mind to the resonance of God, to the revelation of God. But he talks about the ax laid to The, the tree. That is a quantum event. You know, I was trying to think of a word. I was thinking, okay, would we say astronomical event? Because there will be some astronomical events. There's astronomical events every day. Uh but Some of them, um, you know, sometimes we use the word astronomical to refer to the size of something. But uh I was using astronomical. There will actually be signs in the heavens and in the skies. But there also is, on a quantum basis, there will be an awakening in the spirit. And when the spirit grows, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, that if uh, the, the armies of darkness are going to come upon... Many nations in the days to come. And they will wreak havoc. And of course, havoc will be wreaked on them. But the light, they're the armies of darkness. And the one thing that will defeat them, it's not better weaponry or whatever, but it's it's the, the power of the light. Because they're the army of darkness and light defeats them. And that light comes from Christ, and it's that utility of Christ that will bring it through you to them and repel that enemy. Now, this is just kind of heads up on the future. I'm not giving you any details or anything, but just so you know that that there's actually a battle. The battle you need to worry about right now is being baptized with water unto repentance. See, but when the people were getting him baptized, they were starting to do what John the Baptist was saying, which was, no, you're not going to take care of one another through force or through what Jesus would later call the Corbin of the Pharisees. You're going to take care of one another through sacrifice, free will offerings, like it was supposed to be from the beginning. And, that is a process where you begin to do that more and more in order to do that more and more and do it well with righteousness you need to come together in congregation so you know who you're giving to and how the funds are being handled and who's being helped and who's being weakened but that's that's up to you to organize yourselves I've given you the basic template Christ gave you the basic template I just pointed it out but you get baptized so that you move unto repentance, a changing of the mind. Because you don't know what to change your mind to. I mean, you may have an idea, we've talked about it and everything, but to really, you want God to change your mind. That spirit of revelation to change your mind. You want that changing of your mind to be written on your heart and upon your mind. That's what the prophecy is. That's what Christ is bringing us, so that God will write right on your particular heart a particular message for you. Now, it will be in conformity with the whole message, which we talk about in generalities. But you will actually know what to do in a specific moment or, or, or time. But you have to actually act upon it, because you have to be a doer of what God is showing you. And they may be little things, they may be big things. But that begins to set up this process of repentance, the process of revelation, the process of resonance with the spirit of life. Because that love will give you the protection. You know, and it's not about protecting you. It's about serving God. Though he may slay me, slave me, I shall serve him. That's That's the attitude that you have. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That fire is what stops the army of darkness. When we associate fire, we associate it with light. But it's an actual light that burns, that will keep. Evil at bay, because I mean, it burns to evil. To those who want, who love the darkness and, and are embracing the darkness, that fire is a scary thing. And the Holy Ghost is what brings that fire. The Holy Spirit brings that fire, so that it passes through you. You have no control over it. It's the Holy Spirit, but it's you giving the Holy Spirit control. Not my will, but thine be done. So, verse twelve whose fan is in the hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire again a fire unquenchable fire the consuming fire the hell fire these are all basically the same metaphor that's going to burn up the chaff but his the fan that has to do with winnowing. When you take grain, and you, it, it, you know, I've done this where I've gone out and harvested grain, thrashed the grain, barley it was. I've done it with wheat as well, but barley. And then you, on a windy day, you toss it up in the air, and the grain is heavier. It falls down, but the chaff blows away, and you clean it that way. Now, you, of course, you can, you can create a combine that blows its own fan and... And thrashes the weeds and it will do, but you're separating the chaff away from the wheat or the barley. Barley, the the, the chaff is a little bit more stubborn, but but it's one of the earlier grains. So he says that the, the fan is in his hands and uh, he will perch the floor he will blow away the chaff. The chaff is not what is valuable. It's the wheat that's valuable. And, of course, some of the seeds that will grow up with that need to be also blown away uh, because you don't want to put those seeds back into your field. And then it says in verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answereth, said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him and said, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water and lo, the heaven were opened Unto him, and he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove. It didn't look like a dove, but it was, it descended like a dove. And have you seen a dove? I used to raise doves and pigeons. And they have this fluttery thing. So the spirit of God is like this fluttering light that descended upon him, and the light upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, that's what... Now, I don't know who all heard that voice. Uh, but the, there seems to be a report that more than one person heard it. And this is saying that this is the Son of God. Now, the idea of Jesus being the Son of God is not so strange. Because all of Israel thought of themselves as the children of God. But to say this, my beloved son, is starting to say that he's going to be called the son of God. We just know that a voice from heaven and the spirit of God descended on him like a voice. But at that point, all the abilities that Jesus had were magnified. And now he walked with an additional spirit. That's a real thing. But uh, I don't expect people to believe it. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to put this biblical story into the context of what is really going on. John baptized. Uh, John the Baptist was the son of someone who was literally one of the acting high priests of Judea, one Zacharias. Now Zacharias, uh, according to some. Died in a place that the priests couldn't just walk into. They could go into the court and they could go into different areas. But he was in a place that they couldn't just walk into. So it was beyond a certain veil. And finally, when they went in there, they supposedly find him. And um, what I should do, because I have this already, I have a link in chapter one, that is the Gospel of James and and I uh, also have a page on origin. this Zachariah, who is the father of John the Baptist and the husband to Elizabeth. and if you go to Origin and you read that. It, John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah, who was literally one of the acting high priests of Judea. Origin suggests that Zechariah, mentioned in Matthew 23:35 may be the father of John the Baptist. And not, there's another Zechariah farther back that was also murdered, but this is not. I don't believe it's the one. I believe it is John the Baptist's father. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But according to the Gospel of James, Zechariah was killed by those under Herod's orders because he did not reveal the location of John to them. But that is not what the text actually says. And so you can actually go to the Gospel of James I have links there that takes you right to the area. And, uh, in that, th- there are several areas. And the Gospel of James talks about, you know, Mary a lot more, and that she was a virgin, and that and there was a midwife, and and all these little gaps, because we have very little information about the Nativity. But, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, uh, James tells us some of these, uh, fills in a lot of these blanks. What was going on at that time? And like I said, the Sanhedrin. There was. We know historically that the Sanhedrin walked out because of corruption. You got corruption in your government. I was hoping that the uh, the the that the Congress of or the Senate of Oregon would walk out during the Article Two Section Twenty Two repeal. It was put in there by the people, but the legislature got it moved out with the help of the. Fake news and false information that they actually passed a measure that supposedly make things better, but it actually opened up a door to millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in corruption going to the corrupt leaders of your government, both Democrat and Republican. Yeah, the Democrats were in greater violation of it, but by allowing that to change, they sealed the fate Of the Oregon state legislature and Oregon state government that it will be burned with a consuming fire now. And I know people who are all for their rights and their freedom. And they, 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 of course, they went to public school and learned about the constitution. So they know literally nothing about the constitution. They have put on courses about the constitution. They don't know what they are talking about because they were, they were dumbed down. Almost a generation ago. And before they were dumbed down, their parents were dumbed down. And before their parents were dumbed down, their grandparents were dumbed down. You have to go back and actually learn what was going on in history at a given time. And then and then you you also need to have a peripheral knowledge around history. You know, like the history of law, the history of legal systems. The history of languages. Because words are changing over time. Laws are changing over time. And that's what we're trying to bring you. And there's lots and lots of pieces of the puzzle. And if I say something that somebody disagrees with, fine. I will explain it later on. And of course, that's why we have this afternoon show where people can raise their hand and ask questions. But I really am... A lot of our regular listeners are... Have, uh, have had the questions answered already. <laughs> so, anyway, in the Gospel of Thomas, uh, and what is it? Chapter 23, I know Herod sought to, for John, and sent officers to Zacharias. This is what it writes in the Gospel of James, saying, Where hast thou hidden thy son? And he answered and said unto them, I am a minister of God attending continually unto the temple of the Lord, and I know not where my son is. He probably didn't know where his son was. Because if you read the part about Elizabeth, Elizabeth uh, was already fleeing out to the desert because she knew John's life was in danger. Zechariah was an old guy so he kind of stayed back there and by the time they found out that Elizabeth and the child had gone, she probably had a dream too uh, and was new to flee with the child. And she didn't know where to go. Uh, there was no hiding place for her. And Elizabeth groaned and said, With a loud voice, O mountain of God, receive thou a mother with a child. And Elizabeth was not able to go up. And immediately the mountain clave asunder and took her in. And there was light shining always for them, for an angel of the Lord was with them, keeping watch over them. Now, I don't have the original Greek text yet. I haven't looked at it. But an angel of the Lord, that could be messenger of the Lord, uh, keeping watch over them. But somehow or other, even though she was in, when it says clave asunder, somehow or other, the mountain opened up and she was able to go enter into a cave in the mountain. But there was a light shining always for them. They weren't in the dark. And there was a messenger of God with them. So that's what happened to Elizabeth according to the Gospel of James. Zachariah was unaware of all that. Or at least he didn't have any of the details. And so when the soldiers came, he could honestly say, I don't know. I don't know where she's at. I'm here. She's gone. John's gone. And of course the officers departed and came back and told Herod all these things. And Herod was wroth and said, His son is to be... King over Israel. He thought John the Baptist was to be king over Israel. This must be the guy. Now this is really interesting. Is that there's layers of protection for Jesus. <laughs> and now John was protected. And uh so he sent unto him again saying, say the truth, where is thy son? And thou knowest that thy blood is under my hand. And the officers departed and told them all these things. So they went to Zechariah, they departed from Herod, they went to Zechariah and they told him all these things. But Zechariah said, I am a martyr of God. If thou sheddest my blood for my spirit, the Lord shall receive. Now, actually, this, this copy, that's probably sh- is the word shall. I need to fix that. I'm making the note here. I found a number of like typos because they ov- obviously used uh, optical character recognition to put together this particular document that I downloaded this from. Pretty sure that's supposed to be shall receive. Because thou sheddest innocent blood in the forecourt of the temple of the Lord. So it says forecourt. That's a translation again. So he's in this special place. If you slay me in here. And about the dawning of the day, Zacharias was slain. Now, he's slain by the dawning of the day. Pretty sure those soldiers didn't come to him in the middle of the night. Those soldiers probably weren't in the temple in in this forecourt. And the children of Israel knew not that he was slain. And they didn't know it because nobody was in there. But you know, I, I've I've dealt with writings about assassinations for years and this this and And also, you know, I told you about the spike protein before anybody else did. (laughs) I I released reports before they'd even made a vaccination of the dangers of the spike protein. And, of course, actually the reports that I was sharing with were the result of actual autopsies that were being done on people who actually got COVID, elderly people who got COVID, and they saw the damage in there. It's nothing like the damage that you will see when you get vaccinated. Now a lot of people said, well, I got vaccinated, nothing happened. Of course there's a comedian who was saying, I got vaccinated, I got boosted, I have been traveling, nothing happened to me, and then she all of a sudden she falls over. But the reality is, is that there, you have to look at the batch numbers, if you're, if you're concerned. And even if you're concerned, we have ways that you can overcome the ill effects of this. Just join the network and talk to our people. Uh, we're not just gonna put it all out there. But we're out there to help those people who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we just give you all this stuff, I mean, all the books are free online. If we just give you all this stuff over the air, then we are encouraging sloth. We are encouraging you to be zealous in pursuit of the Lord. Join a congregation, become a part of a network, and uh, start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You can't just depend on me. You have to actually create a network where you become a part of these viable congregations in order to have those congregations come together and become a viable republic in the heart of the New World Order, which is what Christianity became. So, Zacharias, uh, the priests entered... In at the hour of salutation and the blessing of Zacharias met them not according to the manner that he would normally meet them. He didn't come out to meet them. And the priest stood waiting for Zacharias to salute him with prayer and to glorify the Most High. But he didn't come. But as he delayed to come, they were all afraid. And one of them took courage and entered in. So he had to go in. He was deeper into the temple. And he saw beside the altar congealed blood and a voice saying, Zacharias has been slain and his blood shall not be wiped out until his avenger come. And when he heard the words He was afraid and went forth and told the other priests. And they took courage and went in and saw that which was done. And the panels of the temple did wail. And they rent their clothes from the top to the bottom. And his body they found not. But his blood they found turned into stone. And in other words, it can chill and become hard. And they feared and went forth and told all the people that Zacharias was slain. And all tile tribes, that's probably another word there, of the people heard it. I'm going to have to look for, maybe I can find the Greek. And we'll take a look at some of this in the Greek. And they mourned, I assume it was written in the Greek. I know it was never translated into Latin, because Jerome was against, this is why it didn't end up in the in the fullness of the Bible, is Jerome was absolutely against the Gospel of James. But others like Origen wrote about it, so I mean, it, it was a real thing. How accurate it is, difficult to say. He does mention a lot of things that uh, are not in the regular Bible, but... And they may or may not be true, but we just saw where they, they certainly fiddled with the, the translations of Matthew 2, 3. There's clearly a word that means it at, at the very least means feed. And, uh, probably at the very most means to shepherd, but they translated rule. <laughs> And Jesus didn't come to rule over you. He rules over your enemies, yes. But that is because he rules with a consuming fire. And again, I'm mentioning that. That's a piece of the puzzle. What is the consuming fire? How does one fall under the protection of the consuming fire? I could tell you stories. But, so, they didn't find his body. But I can show you, you can actually look it up. Look up Zechariah uh Google it uh look on Wikipedia and eastern or Eastern orthodox and maybe grave of Zechariah they'll show you where the grave of Zechariah is and his body that is supposed to be buried there with i think simeon uh they'll they'll show you that well they didn't find his body so how could he be buried there <laughs> well then again James not. His gospel and they may not be accurate. Maybe they did, somebody did find his body. But I haven't found any evidence that anybody ever found his body. But I have come across that tomb in the Eastern Orthodox, but I don't think that they've got it figured out. Zechariah was slain, and the tribes of the people heard it, and they mourned and lamented him three days and three nights. And after the three days, the priests took counsel whom they should set in his stead. And the lot came up upon Simeon. Now he it was which was warned by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death until he should see the Christ in the flesh. Well, he had seen John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was not the Christ in the flesh. There was somebody that was to come after him. So anyway, that's a brief look at the Gospel of James. Like I say, we have it at Preparing You, and we have links on the page where you can go read it for yourself. But I'll try to improve the uh, translation there because I'm sure the optical character recognition has screwed up a couple of those words. And if I can find the original Greek uh, in my spare time, we'll see if we can't uh, get that. The the whole purpose of laying these things out is so that you get a better understanding that John the Baptist was preaching the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a system of government of the people, for the people, and by the people where the people individually, individually work together to take care of one another through the practice of pure religion. That's, that's what the kingdom of God is, because it is people taking care of people out of love for one another and not out of uh, any sort of contract, covenant, or constitution. With the use of no, um, you know, uh, no covetous practices, uh, not the use of force to take care of one another, and we see that that's what Paul was doing, Barnabas was doing, Peter was doing. They were taking care of the needy of society, and of course, locally people were doing that, but occasionally they needed more help. And it came through the church because the church was in the business of rightly dividing the bread from house to house. Providing that social safety net of righteousness for the people who were seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what the kingdom was all about and if we if all the people who said they were Christian, if all the churches who said they were Christian churches were working at this diligently night and day, you would not be having this concern about Biden in the White House, Trump in the White House, you would not have this rising debt. Uh you know, if all the Seventh Day Adventists were actually understood the seventh day and the Sabbath, just that alone would probably have turned the tide. It definitely would have turned the tide if all the people who said they were Christians were actually keeping the Sabbath. Which has nothing to do with Saturday. It has to do with working six days and then taking the rest that you earned. It is absolutely about not borrowing from the future through covetous practices that will curse your children with debt which is exactly what you've been doing. So you need to repent of that, turn around and go the other way. On the page in origin, but so anyway, the it, Herod truly may be the cause of Zechariah's death, but it was probably not the soldiers who did it. It was probably some of the priests who would have gotten access and got been able to slip in there and knew how to get behind the There are guards In the temple. All the time. Because there's gold in the temple. It's not like Zechariah was the night watchman. There's a whole guy who goes around all the time. Making sure the guards are awake. At that time. I I can't remember what the word is. It's a big long word. Uh, I'm going to get it wrong if I try to say it. It starts with an M. But he would go around. And actually there's a couple of uh, Israelite idioms you know where he talks about I mean the hot foot this guy would go around and you know he might smack you in the leg if he caught you asleep wake you up but he could actually set your foot on fire (laughs) you know he's he's at night and he's probably walking around with a torch or at least a candle or oil lamp that would be a, a very common thing and if you know how the oil lamps work uh you know, they're usually made out of metal, or at least they have a metal spout. And you put the oil in it, could be ceramic, but uh, and then you put the wick down in the oil, and out that spout, it looks like a little kind of flat teapot, you know, like an Aladdin's lamp. And what it is, is that if you hold that lamp out, that little spout sits there, and that little wick sits there, and it's soaking up the oil, and it's burning just like a candle wick. And that oil might be a mix of oil and wax or whatever in the summertime, but in the wintertime it's probably just oil. And if you want it to burn brighter, you just tip it a little bit and let a little bit of the more oil go out into the wick and then it will burn brighter. Well, that's how you're getting around. You're walking around with this little lamp. Okay, so there's a guy who's supposed to be on guard and he's falling asleep. Well, you just go up to him and, and you drip a little bit of oil on, on his foot and, and, and you drop a few, you know, there'll be a little flame of oil drop down there and his foot will catch on fire. He won't go to sleep so quick next time. But that, they were actually doing that. That's just a little anecdote. On, because there's guards all over the temple. There's gold all over the temple. There's silver in the temple. There's artifacts in the temple that they there's all kinds of guys around. The soldiers aren't gonna be left inside. The soldiers aren't in there, but somebody's in there. <laughs> there's guards in there. There's priests in there. There's priests coming and going. And they can walk right past the guards and maybe maybe the guy who normally sets the people's foot on fire if they fall asleep, you know, it's kind of like, all the cameras were not functioning. Somebody turned them off. <laughs> Somebody could come in and say, you know, I heard some noise over there. I want you to go down there at the far end of the temple. Check that out. And so the guards go over there and then he slips two more guys in. And they come back and uh, he's still standing there. And there's two guys in the back killing Zechariah. And then he distracts them a little bit to go somewhere else. Well, let's walk over here. I'll go with you. And he goes with them. And while he's gone, those guys come out and take the body of Zechariah. But they left the blood and the blood congealed and the blood dried. It wasn't the guards, the soldiers, the people who, you know, I, I, I see that mentioned. I think like, where did you read that? It's not in the text. But they would rather believe that it was the guards rather than the other priests. Well, that's why I also included a link to the Sanhedrin article. Because we know there was a, Sanhedrin was not a legislature. They were actually representatives. Representatives of the people, but also representatives of the Holy Spirit. They were picked because of their holiness. Because of their devoutness. Uh, because of their upright lives, the virtue they showed in the maintenance of charity amongst the people and, and attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That, that's who was in the Sanhedrin. But Sanhedrin was prospering. And so corruption comes in. That's, that's the way it is. Corruption comes in when, when there's too much wealth. Which is why it is absolutely essential for the wealthy to be charitable. They can be wealthy. They can have a boat. They can have a really nice house. But if they're well-to-do, and there are other people that are hard-working, industrious people, you know, like I was saying, that the, the mortician up in Canada was just testifying. I shared it on Facebook. If You've joined my Facebook uh, you can probably see it. Uh, but, uh, if they don't eventually censor it, a lot of that stuff is getting by now, but, I mean, she's there under oath, and she's saying what she's saying. And of course, I, we have evidence that this is going on all over the place. Um, Ryan Cole, all of them are saying it, um, and, uh, we're getting lots and lots of more deaths. We're getting lots of, mo- lots of more sterility. And again, it has to do with the lot number that you got. And there are probably other variables. All that's going on right in front of everybody. But a lot of people, I just talked to somebody this last week who I mentioned Jordan Peterson is educated person, person, uh, been around for a long time. Absolutely oblivious. To who Jordan Peterson is. Never heard the name. And I thought. Well you, know, you don't have to know. But I'm shocked. I mean you don't. You, like, like what news are you watching. You know. Of course Gavin Newsom refers to. Jordan Peterson of course. But also Joe Rogan. As micro cults. Joe Rogan. Is the most. Listened to podcast. In the history of. Of the world. (laughs) He has more people that listen to him than CNN or these whole networks. He has more people people listening to him. And you call him a micro cult? (laughs) And, you know, I don't even agree with him all the time, but at least he has interesting guests on. So... The point is, that most people, if the news doesn't tell you, if the media doesn't tell you, it didn't happen. They can't think beyond that. Well, now I'm asking you to think beyond what you were taught by your Baptist minister, by your Presbyterian minister, by your Seventh-day minister, minister, by your Catholic priest, by by everything you've heard about the Bible. I mean, just... The idea that the altars of Abraham were actually gatherings of men, a council of men, friends of the community that were the most charitable, most uh, honest, the most forthright men of the community. And they were given the offering, your sacrifice, to help out the needy of society. And as you were giving it to them to help out the needy of society, these sacrificial men, these These men of service took care of everything, but they also became a part of the cities of refuge, which is your appeals courts. And as long as you were giving in that way and taking care of one another in that way, and then, of course, there was the sacrifice of the red heifer. And that's why I call it fervent charity, not just charity. You don't just give when you see a need. Oh well, you know they they got this poster child of this crippled boy and this other poster child of this old woman that we're taking care of and and oh yeah, I feel sympathy for them and and so I'm going to send some money to help that no you our fervent charity is you're giving and you're giving because God gave to you, and you're freely giving. It doesn't rain because the plants are thirsty it rains because that's a part of the natural cycle giving is part of the natural cycle if you want the Holy Spirit to in, enter into you you have to lay down your life for your fellow man you have to sacrifice and that sacrifice makes the word of God to an effect brings the light of the Holy Spirit which will will right upon your heart and your mind but also will make you a conduit for the consuming fire of God. What you will need. But you will not be a conduit enough. You have to come together with others. I mean, it's, it's like the cell, there's a billion cells in your body and they're all working through millions of processes every day. So that you will have this carbon unit in which to encapsulate your spirit. When you come together as the body of Christ, you have to be doing the same thing. So it's not about getting dunked in the water. It's it's not about performing certain rituals. It's not about even joining a congregation. But I think that if you're unwilling to join a congregation, join with other people, there's a serious problem with that. That's a sign that there's something you're not seeing. Because you don't join the congregation for you. You have to join the congregation for them. So that you can sacrifice for them. Even if it's the widow's mite, that's all you could give. That will be counted in the kingdom of God more than all that the rich man gives and and you know i'm not trying to get you to give to me all our books are given away for free online i can't do it i just don't have the resources but uh you need to start building that network of people that are beginning to understand what the gospel of the kingdom is really all about and start seeking that gospel as if your life depended on because it does so anyway, I also added to my article on evil. And I uh, I could go into that. Or uh, I think I will, rather than it's not completely finished, but maybe we'll come across a few things and it will uh it will stir my imagination, and then when I go back over this recording, I will add to it. But uh I had a page up on evil and I've even linked to it, but really, I think it only had a couple of definitions on it. Didn't really have much on it, and so I I revisited it. And it it starts off: we can and should certainly ask the question, "What is evil?" And of course, evil is the absence of light. But it's also what happens. Evil will include the cockroaches that come out in the dark, and the fact that they will eat your. A hole right through your cereal box and eat all your cereal. Although the cereals, they'll probably get more nutrition from eating the box. <laughs> Depending on what cereal you buy. Maybe it's that granola. Uh, the Greek word translated into this English word evil, uh, there's, uh, there's actually numerous of them. They're not just one single word. And it's very interesting. What words they are translating and where they show up. And you can't tell that just by looking at the English. And I don't expect everybody to learn the Greek or the Hebrew. But which is why we've created preparing you so that I can go through these studies and give you kind of a, you know, we'll, we'll fly low over the text and so that you can see that, oh wow, that's interesting. (laughs) But really seeking the kingdom is going to be what you do after the show is over what what you're going to do with your life but we're we're just telling you about this that you you're encouraged in this different view of the kingdom because that that what that's what we're trying to do is bring you to a different view of the kingdom of God and his righteousness because that's part of the repentance you need to know what the kingdom of God looks like in order to find it and you're supposed to be seeking it. So the inspired authors of this sacred text chose specific words to place in the original text to describe what they meant to say, share, and pass down to us. Other men came along and translated it and they said, oh, this word means this and this word means that, except sometimes this word means this and sometimes the word means that. And they may be accurate, but it also gives you to other sophists to come through and manipulate the translation so you do not actually see what the author really meant. He chose particular words and they didn't all mean exactly the same. So, like I said, we're going to fly low over this and take a look at some of these words and find out what the inferences of why they use this word here and why they use that word there. And, of course, there's no end to this because there's these words show up hundreds of times. Now, the one that shows up mostly as evil is paneros. And it's a pretty common Greek word. It appears 76 times and normally is translated evil, but is actually defined as full of labor or even a bad condition. Well, the bondage of Egypt was full of labor, and, and of course, when they were taken off to the the bondage, in, you know, the captivity of Babylon, that was full of labor too. And they didn't get to keep all their labor; they were in bondage. They got to keep some of it. They built some houses. They 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 raised children, and everything, but they were in captivity until they finally were allowed to leave. In the time of Ezra. And they were going to go back to their homeland. But. Now this is the question. Were they still in bondage. Just in a farther away place. Were they still going to have to pay tribute. Because if they had to pay tribute. They're in bondage. And so. But we'll look at that. When we finally go back to Ezra. But we need to get some of these. Some more of these epistles. Some more of these gospels out of the way. So. The word paneros is actually translated grievous in Revelations 16.2, uh, which says, And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. So there's this mark of the beast and there's these men that are given a noisome and grievous sore. Well, there's all kinds of interpretation of this. It's going to be a chip and then the chip is going to rupture and cause a sore and everything. But the word grievous there actually means literally full of labors. That's literally what it means. In Revelation 16.2, we see this uh, th- this word noisome word there, but I do talk about it. the word noisome describing this sore is kakos, meaning of a bad nature, not such as it ought to be, or of a mode of thinking, feeling, acting, base, wrong, wicked, even tr- troublesome or injurious, pernicious and destructive, and baneful. According to Webster's revised, unabridged dictionary, the word noisome does mean noxious to the health, hurtful, mischievous, unwholesome, insalubrious, and destructive. The problem is that cacos is only translated noisome once, and is translated evil forty times. Kakos is not normally found modifying the word sore or wound. And I see another typo there. So I'll I'll fix all those things. But um so in this page on evil I do get into that. It's farther down because cacos is another word that is translated evil about, like I said, forty times. But uh, this word that we see the word noisome in this first, uh, close quotes there. This kakos, why are these two words, commonly translated evil, appearing in the verse together where neither of them are translated evil? They normally translate it evil, but they don't translate either one of them evil. And, of course, people read this and, and they they read uh, kakos and poneras. Which has this evil, what actually means literally evil and full of labors and causing this sore, which is this illness, this unhealthiness because of the mark of the beast. Well, what, what, of course, if you go read our article on mark of the beast, uh, you'll see that mark of the beast is the karagma of the beast and the karagma is a badge of servitude. And, of course, that's why it's full of labors, because you're back in the bondage of Egypt. So you're already, what is the one thing, what is your badge of servitude that says that your human resource and a portion of your labor belongs to somebody else? What what does that? See, you've already returned to the bondage of Egypt, and, of course, you should have returned to the bondage of Egypt because of what? What caused this? covetous practices, because why in the world would you have gone down and got that mark of the beast except for the fact that you wanted benefits, except for the fact that you did not already gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and set up a system of social welfare through faith, hope, and charity, which of course the church could have done, but the Roman church didn't do it, the Seventh-day Adventist church didn't do it. Uh even the Mormons didn't really do it. They did have their granaries at one time, but I from what I understand, they're all empty now. So that they edged that way for a little while, but now everybody's gone away, and now is when you need it. And so, anyway, I go on there to talk about the word kakos, the Greek term kakos, and there's actually two different ways to spell this. And, and it's given different Strong's number. And, and, and the first one is, uh, th- this, uh, kakos apparently a primary word, uh, which means evil things or harm or that which is evil or wicked or ill or bad or noisome. Like I said, it only translated noisome. Something of a bad nature. Something troublesome or injurious. The other word for cacos spelled slightly different. And, and it's from the, you know, the word, it, it's actually from the cacos I just mentioned. Uh, but it, 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 if you put it in conjunction with other words, because it's an adverb, it, it can mean sick, it can be, mean disease. Uh, it actually can be translated grievously, because it's an adverb. Or sore, by itself it can be translated sore, or miserable, or amiss, or sick people. And it means miserable, or to be ill, or to be improper of what you should have been. To be actually vile, or reviled. And so, but that again is basically a word for evil. And the, the the term kakos is not only translated evil, but also wicked, bad, mean, foul, malefic, uh, in the sense of morally corrupt. And while the term kakos in the sense of the quality may be someone or something that is bad, worthless, or useless, as a condition of circumstances, it may be something that is injurious, wretched, or even unhappy if it's an individual. As a measure of character, it would be describing somebody who is low, mean, vile, or evil. And reading the, the use of the word in context will often tell us which one we're talking about. But then there's numerous. Compound words. That has the term kakos in it. Kakopoyos. Which is an evil doer. Or kakopoyos. Uh, which is someone who. Will do evil. It's a verb. Meaning to do evil. Uh, and then there's. Uh, words that have to do with oppression. kakocheo and uh, kako athia which is someone with bad character deprive uh, depravity of the heart and life a real jerk and and kako legio which has to do with speak logos legio speech so that they speak evilly and uh, or someone who's just suffering evil there's other compound words that go on you know uh, kakopatio, uh, to suffer or endure evil. So, clearly, the word kakos is the most common word representing the idea of evil. And the word uh, that we see, paneros, does mean evil, but specifically has to do with something that is full of labors, like the bondage of Egypt. It is putting burdens on the people. Because, see, going back to the bondage of Egypt is evil. Putting your brother into the bondage of Egypt was evil. And so, that is the distinction. Kakos has lots of meaning that are surrounded with evil and wickedness and and bad and mean and foul and all this stuff. Why Paneros has to do with evil, which is more like the bondage of Egypt, Or putting burdens on people or even oppressing them. Although kakos can also have the idea of oppression. But that is not the only word. (laughs) we still got another one. And we can look at that in John 5.29. Jesus states clearly that they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil... Under the resurrection of damnation Jesus also makes it clear that many will think they know Jesus that maybe even that they love one another they love their neighbor oh I love my neighbor I don't do anything for him if he has any needs he can go to government services I don't have to sacrifice for him I don't have to take care of him I don't have to go over there and change his colostomy bag (laughs) Uh, I might do some of those things. But, you know, i got busier things to do. But he doesn't really love his neighbor. Because to really love your neighbor means you have to be there for your neighbor. And a lot of people substitute... uh, It is in the nature of a lot of people to serve. But some people will substitute that serving that they should be doing for their neighbor for, you know, like pets. You know like their pet dog or their pet cat, and they're just crazy about their cat. Somebody was just telling me the other day that they're, that somebody got another cat. And uh, no kids got lots of cats. I guess I may have the story wrong, but I've seen this with other people. Where they transfer, they don't want to take care of kids, but they'll take care of their pets. Because the fact is, it's easier to take care of your pets than take care of people. Because when you take care of people, you come face to face with your own impatience your your own your own cacos, your own evil and see you need to come face to face with that in order to forgive yourself as well as to forgive others because in that way you're you're going to put a cleft in okay. the the mountain of foolishness. That your life has been. And you will open it up. And there will be a light inside. That will begin to guide you. Maybe give you dreams. Maybe give you visions. Maybe just bring you peace. So anyway. This warnings that we find in John. those warnings are repeated over and over again. Uh, that many people may think they know the truth. Uh, love God. And even love one another. But actually they are so deceived that they believe a lie. They believe it's okay to neglect gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But even more so, they think it's okay to join a system that is based on covetous practices. And even borrowing money against the future of their children. And they think that's okay. But it has astronomical effects. It has quantum effects within your own heart and within your own mind. If you do evil according to John three twenty, you hate the light and are not born again. Which if you go and you'll see in three twenty, which is after, you know, three sixteen and the idea of being born again, that you you you're not born again if you're still doing evil. You can't do evil if you're born again. You just can't do it because God is in you and controlling your actions. Now, you can reject God, but if God really comes in you, you'll find it harder and harder to do it because, you know, to reject God and, easy and easier to obey the commandments. The Greek word, pas gar ha phala, proson. And I actually put the Greek letters there. Not that anybody has to learn to read Greek. We, we see in this translation, For everyone that doeth evil. That's for everyone that doeth evil. Which is literally everyone for evil practicing. So that they're, they're, you know, and of course covetous practices is an evil practice. So everyone who is engaged in covetous practices or doing evil, don't love the light, and are not born again. I, I, that's just that's the description that Jesus gives us in the text. So it, that, I'm just giving you the information as to what Jesus means about when he, when they use these words evil or iniquity. It, is that? that you're not supposed to be engaged in these covetous practices and you should be seeking a system that does not require them. And that system is a system of fervent charity, which is the business of the church, but now you're going to have to find the church. People say, well, so do I join your church? It's not my church, it's his church. You just have to conform to what Christ said and we lay out what Christ said is to join a congregation of ten, sit down with with uh, nine other uh, families, or join a family that's joined a congregation. If you're, if you're gonna be like my Aunt Fanny. Do that. So this Greek, Greek word, Paula, does mean evil, but only appears four times in the Bible. So where does it appear? Well, John 3.20, we saw that for everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, They actually want to stay away from it. They won't come near the light. It's like Adam and Eve fleeing the garden. They're fleeing the light. You know why? Because if you do not accept the truth, the light becomes a consuming fire. There's another hand for you. (laughs) Another clue. Lest his deeds be reproved. He doesn't want to admit. See, humility. This is why... The meek shall inherit the earth because the meek are willing to see their fault and see their error. We see the word again in John five twenty nine. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. But it's not the word kakos. It's not the word. Uh, paneros it's this other word that uh, is follows apparently a primary word means easy slight ordinary mean, worthless or no account no account hmm and of course there's the word proso which means to commit. Uh, exact required deed exercise practice again to be busy with or carry on. So we see that this is the word that we're seeing. You know, the five five the five three three seven Strong's number is the follows. The other word is praso, but they both has to do with this idea of exercising and. uh and and commit and exact and require exercise or practice something. And, of course, we're supposed to be practicing pure religion, but instead we're practicing public religion. So in John 3.20, for everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light. So we saw that. In 5.29, we see those that do good go unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And of course, covetousness is evil. But in Titus 2 8, we see sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Nothing to talk about. And again, we go back up to that uh, evil means no worthless thing to say about you. No, no non-ethical thing to say about you. It's funny, we had several conversations today about ethics. Because we know of actually local corruption where ethics is not being followed. And and we have family members that are in the midst of that, and they're going to need to expose that. And there will be repercussions down the way, but they need to have the courage to do that. Because if they do it out of righteousness, there will be a consuming fire that will have long-range effect on them and their children's children. I'm not telling you anymore. In James 3.16 we see for where envying and strife is there is confusion and every evil work. And of course this ethics violation is going to bring envy and strife (laughs) and there will be confusion and every evil work. But if we're on the side of right we can turn it to good. Oh, let's say, yeah, we can. Through the rulers who exercise authority, one over the other of the state is idolatry. And of course we know that uh, covetous practices is idolatry because they tell us so. Then legal charity, which is based on that idea, legal charity is when the civil government forces the contributions, not doing it like John the Baptist said, through love through sharing, through fervent charity, but it's doing it through force, which Christ forbid. So, legal charity, social welfare, socialism, communism, are evil. Not because they kill millions of people. That's a side effect of legal charity. If you go the way of legal charity, you will degenerate the people, they will become perfect savages, and they will bite one another until they kill one another. That's just, that's the way it's gonna go. So the, you can't fix it by saying, oh, I want a leader who's not gonna kill us. Cause if you give him the power, everybody will be tempted to do it. So if coveting your neighbor's goods, even some who, someone who is just for evil practicing or coveting your neighbor's goods are for that system of coveting your neighbor's goods through the rulers of their state is doing evil. Because they entertain that idea. Socialism is evil. If they do not actively seek the alternative, which is the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is a system of fervent charity, not socialism, he is is working iniquity and certainly rejecting the way of the words of Christ. And they are not doers of the word. They are doing contrary to the ways of Christ. And we see in Colossians three five, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, that's what it says, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And the disobedience is that they chose to covet their neighbor's goods. They chose to fornicate. They they wanted to say that we're a part of the body of Christ, we're a part of the church, but they're actually a part of the harlot system. The harlot system is a system of social welfare, but it rides a beast that goes around and exercises authority and devours who it will that's why they got her on a beast they didn't put her on a nice little peaceful donkey they put her on a beast yeah, I saw a guy who was riding a bull and he came out of the chute and uh, he, he was riding it for a little bit but he got thrown off but his hand was still stuck Under the rope, you know, they wrap that rope around so they can hold it really tight. But they're supposed to be able to let go and fly loose. And I don't know if the guy got twisted up or anyway, but it didn't let go. And he he was being flung around by the bull because it's still bucking around and he can't get loose. He's not on the bull. He's just on the side. And the clowns are going up and trying to stop the bull and try to slow. Eventually, there were so many clowns and cowboys. They just jumped on that bull and held that bull down (laughs) until somebody could either cut or disconnect that guy from the bull and that was remarkable and that was difficult but you know what's hard to get people disconnected from the false church that's going to jerk them around and destroy them kill them if they don't get loose that's going to be difficult. And that's what we have to do. So there's these two commandments that sum up the whole law. And if we love Christ, we will keep the commandments. And, of course, we can go down all kinds of, you know, Matthew seven twenty one. Not Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. But everybody says, somebody's telling me on Facebook, Oh, you, nothing you can do, you don't have to keep the commandments, you just have to have faith in it, because you're saved by grace. No. You're not born again, you're not saved by grace, if you're still doing evil. And it says it right in the instructions. Many will say unto me in, in the last in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils? And in thy name we've done many wonderful works. All these different things that they say they've done. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. They depart from you, you workers of iniquity. So what's iniquity? Sending men to your neighbor's house. To force him to contribute to what you want for free. Because you covet your neighbor's goods, your neighbor's labor, your neighbor's wealth. And you want something, and you want it from him. So you got him to sign a contract coming under Constitution. See, taxation is not theft. It's covetousness. You've all signed up. You've all have one purse. And it's just your priests that are deciding who gets what. Are not the priests of Christ? They're not doing things the way Christ would do them. They're doing things contrary to the ways of Christ. And and people who go into church don't want to see. It. They say, "Oh, like oh, I, nobody told me this before." Well, I'm telling you now. What does your heart tell you? Is it okay to? Is coveting okay now that Christ has come? We can now covet our neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. When one of the last instructions he gave to his apostles is that we can't do that. We can't go to the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. We're not to be that way. But you are. And you're not keeping the commandments. In Matthew 19.17 and he said unto him why callest me, thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay, that's Matthew nineteen seventeen, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. If anybody telling you you don't have to keep the commandments, you just have to love Jesus, you don't even know what love is, and you probably don't know who Jesus is in John 14:21 he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he is he it is that loveth me so i know you don't love god if you're coveting your neighbor's goods now that's good news if you accept it it's good news because now you can repent and stop coveting your neighbor's goods and start coming together as christ intended And fervent charity and take care of one another through that fervent charity. And if you don't do that, you will not have the consuming fire that will stop the evils of darkness when they are running ragged in the world. Fortunately, the days will be brought short. But like I said, everybody's going to be free, but everybody's not going to buy freedom. You need to start keeping the commandments now. But not of your own will. You can't do it of your own will. You need the Holy Spirit to do it. But the Holy Spirit will come to you, and God will hear your prayers when you hear the prayers of others. Well, that's why you gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, so that you can hear the prayers of others. Again, you don't gather for what you can get. You gather for what you can give. That is the Eucharist of Christ. Well, Eucharist means thanksgiving. That is, you are thankful for the opportunity of giving, and you have that opportunity because you did what Christ commanded to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God because you're going to take care of one another through fervent charity instead of force and fear and fealty, which is the way that your churches have been saying to do it for the last 100 or more years. But now, we get to repent. John fifteen ten. If you keep the commandments, you shall abide in my love. That love is where that consuming fire comes from. You can't abide in his love if you're not going to admit the truth. Because you're, you're not going to want to be in the light. And we're sharing with you the light. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You need to do the same. 26, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Saul built his house upon the sand because he was foolish. What did he do that was foolish? He forced the sacrifice of the people to fund his army. You force the sacrifice of the people to fund your school, to fund your Medicare and your Medicaid and your social welfare systems. You force the sacrifice of your neighbor because you don't really love your neighbor. You say, well, I love the poor. No, you don't. You make poor men of us all because you are virtuously bankrupt. Luke 6:47 Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them I will show you to whom he is like but he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built his house upon the earth against that which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell And the ruin of that house was great. Luke 7, 8. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto you, Go, and he goeth. And to another I say, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. So are you a servant of Christ? If you are, then why aren't you doing what he said? For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, because that's how you find the truth, That's how that you cometh to the light, cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Titus 1.16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work a reprobate. James 1.23. For if any be hearers of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. I know people who don't want any benefits from the government. And they, they, from the men who exercise authority. But are they sitting down in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands? Are they loving one another through charity, or are they just loving one another from the pew? I mean, I don't know how many people tell me, "Oh, well, I love my neighbor. I don't do anything for my neighbor, but I love my neighbor. I don't take care of them." You see, we need to change. We need to go another way. But in order to change, we need God to change your mind. We need, to, and what you need is humility. Like I said, you need to be giving and forgiving. But in order to get to that part, you need the humility enough and be long-suffering enough to enter into the light and see your own sin. Forgive yourself of that sin and then go about forgiving everybody else for their sins against you. Because evil is going to try to upset you. The stamina of the early Christians is staggering. So you have to be a doer of the word. Even James says it in 2.20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? O vain man, why? O man who is not humble? James 3.13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge amongst you? Let him show out a good conversation. His works with meekness of wisdom. Good conversation. Paul talks about conversation. That's a link to an article on the word conversation. It's not always the same word. But Paul talks about his conversation. And he actually uses the word politume. But... That will be a subject of another matter because we're going to be running out of time here. So if anybody has any questions, they should get ready to and press 1 because we're almost done. Uh, Revelations 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how you can't not hear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And has found them liars. So who's telling the truth? You know that was Revelations two too. By Revelations twenty thirteen it says, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to his to their works. But there will be people who deny that. I oh, don't know. All I have to do is believe in Jesus. Well, that sounds good. And, it, and to some degree, it can be true. But when you just tell me that, and I look at what you're doing, I think your faith in Jesus is dead. Because I don't see the works of the early church in what you're doing. If I did, you would be taking care of one another, and you'd be ready for what is coming. But you're not ready and neither is your neighbor ready. And it's partly because you're under a strong delusion that was provided you by people who have believed a lie. And but God said he would send this lie and hopefully we will begin to see that we should not have gone that way. Repent, turn around and go back the other way. But... uh, Let's take a look and see if there's any colors. Because the, the next chapter, chapter 4, we get into the temptations of Jesus. Which are the temptations that you'll all face. It's the temptations that Saul faced. But Jesus faced him and overcame them. Uh, the, it's the same temptations that David faced. And the fact is, is that David and Saul are in the macro. You're in the micro. But the same precepts apply in the micro as they do in the macro. But we'll talk more about that at another time. Right now, oh, we got lots of callers that have came in. Now, if anybody, those callers that uh, have come by, if any of them have a question, they can raise their hand and by pressing 1. And I'm trying to look for my time. My clock disappears on this page. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have to be somewhere at 5.30, and so does somebody else on this call uh, uh, who's in the chat room. <laughs> There's a meal. Uh, being served uh pizza without carbs. <laughs> all meat pizza. I mean all meat. The crust is meat. Everything is meat. <laughs> we eat a lot of meat here. I serve a lot of meat on the program. If you want milk, uh we got a little milk too, but uh, uh it's time that people start getting weaned to the milk and start eating the meat. But anyway, I was supposed to have texted him. I just didn't have the time, so... But I know he's listening there. So he should get over here by 5.30. Uh, and I will quit here pretty soon. I don't see anybody raising their hand. You have to push one on your phone if you have a question. So somebody just said there's a question by Sarah. No, not the same fire that Daniel was in. Different fire. It's the, and it is the, it is the, the fire that, uh, it actually is related to the strange fire. I was trying to think of some other examples that we could get into really quick. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't see your question, Sarah. I saw that you were in the chat room, but when somebody private messages me, evidently the, the balloon fills the whole chat room and I don't see anything behind it. <laughs> so that's, uh, but it, it's good that we were doing this. No, the the fire that uh, Isaac, Meshach, and Abednego was actually a fiery furnace. And they were put in there, and they could walk around and be unharmed. But the power that kept them from the harm is the same power, the same utility of love that... that is a part of the consuming fire. See, it's kind of deceptive. I, I don't mean to be, but it's the words that we find in the Bible, and that's why I'm connecting consuming fire, hellfire, all these things, like a fire. All this is a part of the same thing. That uh, if you do not want to see the truth, and you flee from the truth in this life, when you die... You can't flee anymore. And you're exposed to the truth. And it will be like a consuming fire. It it will seem like it's burning. And and you don't want that. <laughs> so this is how we get this idea of the symbols of burning hells and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to see that. The fact is... Well, I don't want to get into the mysticism of when you're dead, but some people say when you're dead, it's like a dream. Well, yeah, and sometimes when you dream, you have nightmares. And the what you dream will be the result of that which you are closest to. If you're closest to the darkness, your dreams will come from the darkness. If you're closer to the light, your dreams will come from the light. And, of course, this fits right in uh, to God's sin question, uh, Sarah. Uh, because what I was pointing out at Matthew, you know, Joseph was having a dream. And the, the wise men were having dreams. And, and these dreams were giving them messages. And Elizabeth, and, and they were having these dreams that were giving them messages. This was because they were closer to the light. They were more willing to see the truth. They were more innocent in heart. Now, we aren't innocent. But as we approach the light, we, by grace, we receive the blessings of innocence, the armor of innocence. This is what means by putting on the full armor of God, is seeing the truth about ourselves. We will not see the truth about ourselves until we see those little things concerning forgiveness and sacrifice. Not just for ourselves, but for others. And this allows us to get closer and closer to the light. And this is what, you know, when we teach meditation that people get, and even when they start walking this way, the the closer they get to people of the light, the more pressure it is on them to come into the light. And they, the first thing you see when you come into the light is your own failings. And that's usually painful. But if you stick it out and wait upon the Lord, it will pass. And the more you do that, and you won't even know it's taking place, the more you will be encompassed by the light of God, which is a light that gives life. And so then, eventually, God willing, you could walk through the fiery furnace. You you could walk through a rioting streets of criminality and be unharmed. Now you don't, you don't strive to be in that position. You strive to serve God. And that is what, how you put on the full armor of God. By laying down your life daily for other people. By sacrificing for other people. And Isaac, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, were engulfed in that light which protected them from the fiery furnace of the the king you know the 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 Nebuchadnezzar types etc which are all around they they uh it can protect you from all sorts of things from toxins and poisons snake bites from the who <laughs> if you get my drift but sometimes the, the those those things need helping along because of the fact that you know what, what is it, uh, yes, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. So yeah, the, the consuming fire is simply the love of God. It is the, you know, even Moses, as, as close to God as he was, he could only look at God through the cleft in the rock because his light was consuming. It's also protecting. But the more you get in it, the more you are protected. And I had this conversation with somebody out in our driveway. The more you are protected from the armies of darkness. Because, and that's going to be very important because hell is empty and all the demons are here. I actually heard somebody quote that today. That's one of my favorite quotes from Shakespeare. But somebody, somebody actually put it in a meme. So it's uh, maybe maybe it's coming to truth. Of course I think they had pictures of uh of uh, Hillary and I don't know who else in it, the who and, and people like that. And they say hell is empty all the demons are here. Oh Klaus Schwab was one of the pictures. But uh, fear not. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all will be granted unto you. So with that I will let y'all go. So uh we got 15 minutes to to dinner time. And uh, somebody has to make it all the way back here. So I'll let everybody go. <laughs> and uh, thanks for coming. God bless. Thanks for the question, uh, Sarah. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.